Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Father Son Packers podcast, your source for Packers news, notes, and analysis. I am here, as always, your host, Tommy, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, my dad, Matt. Dad, how are you doing? All right. Made it through three days of draft, however many, what was that, like 15 hours of TV? Yeah, we're really suffering over here watching 15 hours of TV. <laughs> it's It's the ultimate challenge, but we are here to do it for you good listeners you don't have to oh yes we're making the big sacrifices out here watching 15 hours of nfl network more honestly i think it's yeah it's probably more it's closer to like 18 i think but we are here after the nfl draft packers got some good players packers got some maybe good players um (laughs) We'll talk about all of them in the coming weeks. Uh, we will be doing a few players each episode over the course of the next few weeks, talking a little bit in depth about each of the players the Packers selected. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about the draft as a whole, and then we're going to be breaking down Lucas Van Ness, the Packers' first pick. But before we get into all of that, just a couple of quick pitches. If you enjoy what you heard, come give us a follow on Twitter at Father Son Packer. That's where we t- post whenever we have a new episode to listen to. Any articles we find interesting, or our takes on players, our takes on Packers news, etc., etc., etc. So come give us a follow there at Father Son Packer. And give us a subscribe, hit that subscribe button on any uh, podcast platforms you are using. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We even put our episodes out on YouTube. Those would all really help our numbers, so we'd appreciate it. Um, but, Dad, anything else there before we get into the draft? Oh, there is one piece of news, though. We need to talk a little bit about Jordan Love's fifth-year option. Yeah, we actually have some waiting for news news, as it were. They... That uh, they have not actually exercised Love's option yet. The deadline is tomorrow, Tuesday, May 2nd, from the time we're recording this. And they haven't announced their intentions. Uh, per Gudikins, he said in the Saturday presser, it's a lot of money for a guy who hasn't played. But at the same time, obviously, we're moving forward with him. So we'll figure that out by Tuesday. He also says, well, we're really focused on the drafts. Like, how do you not already know what you're doing? I'm this sure like, he does. Yeah, I'm sure, but it's just weird not to have decided this weeks ago and actually be willing to say it out loud. Um, I'm I'm sure he does, and I'm sure he just doesn't want to tell us um, because for, I, for reasons. Well, here's what I think. I mean, if you want my two cents, I'd imagine that they are exploring the idea of giving him like a smaller short-term contract, like a two-year deal or a three-year deal. That's sickening. At some kind of some kind of lower rate that would be lower than either the franchise tag or the fifth year option, but would provide a little more security. That would be my guess. I know a lot of people have speculated on that as well. That that's what they're aiming to do. Yeah, I have a feeling I know what his agent's answer is to that. I mean, there are positives for Jordan Love there as well. If they give him a multi year, that's a real that's guarantee. What that's what I'm saying. Two years, like thirty million. Two years, forty million. Like something like that, where it's like very safe money for Jordan Love. If something were to happen this year, God forbid he gets hurt, knock on wood, that doesn't happen. Like he would have some security. There there are positives to Jordan Love for this as well. It's whether or not he wants to like gamble essentially on like, hey, I'm definitely going to earn a long-term contract here. Yeah, it would be taking something well below market value. Uh, if he does. Well, it would be taking something more stable. Low, lower than well, if he both. plays lower than if he plays well much higher than if he plays bad I mean how well does he have to play to get more than that if you look at the league 
Well, if we're going to hypothetical scenarios, if he gets hurt, that's an entirely different conversation. That's an entirely different thing. That's what I'm saying. It gives you some safety safety cushion there. Well, then they'd have to be willing to guarantee more than that $20 million total, because that's guaranteed. So if it's 30 then it has to be like 25 of it guaranteed. Well, here's what, I'm, here's what I'm saying. They they go to his agent, and I, I am literally paraphrasing something I heard. Goodness. I want to say... Could have been Andy Herman. It might have been Justin Mosqueda. They were saying something very similar to this. And I don't want to pretend like I'm biting off of them. But essentially, they're saying, it's like, hey, we're not going to take your option. But here's what's on the table. Here's a nice two-year, 20 mil a year. But we're not uh, taking the option. This is safe. If you think you're going to be really good this coming year, like, we'll like play that out totally fine with that but we're not picking up the option but here's this other thing on the table i guess it'd be depend on how much of it is actually guaranteed yeah that's fair and i think they should give him the option for what it's worth i'm just positing scenarios because i think you know at this point let's give him a little confidence you know <laughs> like just a little, a yes, little confidence like, you've already decided to move on to love which is kind of crazy that they're still thinking this but on the other side, he the fewest games started for a QB to get the fifth-year option picked up since it began in, like, 2011 is Patrick Mahomes with 31 games started. The second fewest is Tua with 34 games started. And the third fewest is RG3, Robert Griffin III, with 35 started. Jordan Love has had precisely one game started so far setting records baby yeah that's a that's a bit of a gap um <laughs> if you looked at a distribution that would be very far He's to the way left. Out of the tail oh man no that's that's a really good poll i didn't realize i didn't realize 31 was the least ever for yeah, someone that, picking up that a was year. i caught that watching a clip from i should i should espn um i think it's espn schefter was on it when he was talking about, uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and then somebody put up the graphic um, on the screen. About that. that's well, where, that's where I got that little bit, little. It's interesting. It, it's important to note the fifth year options only been a thing for like the last like twelve years, like a 15, dozen years. yeah, fifteen years. So it's not like the entirety of NFL history, but it's a good sample size. But that's definitely something that the Packers are going to have to think about. I think we both, I feel more so that they should pick it up just as like a gesture of goodwill and a vote of confidence because like, give them some confidence. In the grand scheme of things for quarterback salary. Well, here's the thing. Can I say one more thing? And if he's bad, they're going to have some money to like, they're like, they're going to be bad the next year. And like the money, I don't think is really going to matter. Like they're going to have some spare money. They're not going to be building a contender. Like that strapped twenty for cash. million is something they can manage. In. Yeah, because then if if he's bad, then they don't have a quarterback ready for twenty twenty four either, and so they're going to be bad again. Sean so Clifford, that twenty million on the books doesn't matter. Well, anyway, Dad, we just talked a little bit about Jordan Love here. Keep your eyes peeled tomorrow. Uh, that's when the Packers have to make that decision on the fifth year option. I feel like if they uh, were like, going to do it, it for, for for Eastern, I think because. The NFL league offices head to the bars early. They must in New York City because it's it's kind of crazy how early these deadlines are. But I think if they were, I'm a little worried that if they were going to do it, they would have already done it. So I don't think they're going to offer it. Um, is my guess. But keep an eye on Twitter tomorrow. We'll be tweeting out through when 
those decisions are made. But Dad, let's get on to talk about the draft because that's what we're really here for. And we're going to start with just a brief overview of the draft itself, talking a little bit about the Packers process, talking a little bit about the players the Packers picked, more so about positions and general philosophy than individual players, because we are going to dive a little deeper into each of these individual players in the coming weeks in our episodes. Come give us a follow on uh, Twitter if you want to be updated about when those episodes are being dropped. We will talk about Lucas Van Ness in the second half of today's podcast as well. And so the next one's going to be, I think, Musgrave and Kraft, even though Reed was picked first. We just want to do the tight ends together. And we'll figure it out from there. But for the draft as a whole, Dad, the Packers took 13 players. I'm just going to read them off really quick. And then we'll go through a little bit about philosophy, et cetera, et cetera. But the Packers ended up with 13 picks, like I said. They took Lucas Van Ness, edge rusher out of Iowa. Luke Musgrave, uh, tight end out of Oregon State. Jaden Reed, wide receiver out of Michigan State. Tucker Craft, tight end out of South Dakota State. Colby Wooden, D-tackle edge out of Auburn. Sean Clifford, quarterback out of Penn State. Dontavian Wicks, wide receiver out of Virginia. Carl Brooks, D-tackle out of Bowling Green. Anders Carlson, kicker out of Auburn. Carrington Valentine, corner out of Kentucky. Lou Nichols III, running back out of Central Michigan. Anthony Johnson Jr., safety out of Iowa State. And Grant DeBose, wide receiver out of Charlotte. And they traded back two times in this draft and did not trade up. And those picks were all from this class, so nothing really impacting future drafts. Whew. That was yep. uh, 13 players. Quite 13 the list. 13 players. And, and uh, interesting twist is they've now hit the Dakotas two years in a row. First the yep. North and then the South. Yep, both Dakotas. They got two guys from Auburn in this draft. Charles Barkley will be very happy with them, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but, Dad, Sir let's, talk, let's talk a little bit about the philosophy of the draft in general uh we're going to talk like i said about lucas van ness next uh in the same episode and then we'll talk a little bit about the rest of these players as we go but dad for a philosophy in general it seems like they we got same old packers defense premier premium position on defense in the first round who is a young big athletic guy and then day two they hit pa- they hit pass catchers. They hit offensive weapons as they are like to do. They're trying to hit their second round wide receiver gold again. Yes, and then day three rounds four to seven. It's they. I think in recent years this is actually more of a trend. I feel like in the past they were just like hit athletes, hit athletes as hard as we can. But I feel like recently they have been t- kind of bending their athletic thresholds a bit. The later like within the draft that they go and. I think an example of that to me, the reason that I think that is like Carl Brooks, not a very good athlete testing wise, but the production is so special that they were like, Hey, we'll take a shot on it. Is there anything structurally within the way that they drafted that struck you as interesting in that way? Well, I think one, one of the things that they're looking at, it seems to me for depth pieces in, in day three, get kind of flyers who could be adding depth and maybe develop into something. Though they did before try to get, you know, somebody like Shamar John Charles, this guy who was very, did, played very well at Appalachia State, I think it was. Didn't test that well, but they were like really excited to bring him in when he was available. Though he has not yet been able to put it together at the NFL level. And that's why I I view Carl Brooks as a bit of the Shamar John Charles of this class, where it's like, hey, not an elite athlete, but had some really good tape, plays very physically, very hard, small school. And they were just like, hey, you know, it's late. It's the sixth round. We'll take a shot on him. Yep. And then philosophically, I think some other pieces of interest in this class, they took f- 
six offensive player or seven offensive players, and not one of them was an O lineman, which yeah. I don't even know the last time they didn't take an offensive lineman. I in meant the draft. to look back at how how long it been, but it's kind of interesting. So no O line drafted. I think a lot of people are like, well, they can go in the first round, and I thought maybe, and I thought, well, they always get some, so they'll take some athletic flyers in the, on day three. They didn't do that either, but based on like Gutekunst's own words before the draft, when at, when when his brother said, "We've got 13 offensive linemen," so it shouldn't have been that big a surprise based on his kind of an almost a uh, dismissive kind of well, like loaded. We don't need to get any. But I, he, despite that, and knowing that quote, I still thought they would pick one or maybe two, and that was when they had 11 picks, not 13. <laughs> well, the thing now, to me, this, well, the thing to me, if I could just add really quick, is for the offensive line. I think most people who thought that they would be taking a tackle in the first round were not thinking that it was a pick for this year. I think most people were like, hey, we're probably going to move on from Bakhtiari after this year uh, just based on timelines and like how old he is relative to the rest of the core and that whoever they drafted in the first round, if they were to, if they were to draft a tackle, would then be the starting tackle for the rest of time. And it's possible they still might have gone one of Paris Johnson Jr. or Darnell Wright uh, if they had fallen to him, both those guys end up going six and nine, respectively. Uh, they had, I think, meetings with Darnell Wright and went to see Paris Johnson Jr. at the at the Ohio State Pro Day and seemed to have a lot of... They, they talked to quite a few tackles throughout this process. Um, but, you know, that's the way the cookie crumbles. And it seems yeah. like they weren't, en- they weren't interested in this year depth along the O-line. They were interested, I think, maybe in long-term starter along the O-line. And that's why they didn't take any like late-round guys. Right. You know, it has a, what I had is, does this mean anything for Bakhtiari and Nyman? No, probably not. And uh, it was, yeah, it was either going to be a, a guy who could start really quickly or what's the point? We've got, we've got uh, Caleb Jones, we've got Rashid Walker, we got Sean Ryan, we got developmental guys already deep in the bench who we like their upside already. Do we need to add another to that room and have to carry so many? Um, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, and they did. They did bring up bring one or two more unfunds, I think. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be another. They've got a lot already. That, yeah, and a lot that they wanted to carry last year. So, and if you had to ask, if, like, if they didn't have somebody jumping all the way to the top of the line, then I guess they they weren't that interested. Well, here's the thing. It's like also while we're on this topic of offensive line, and I don't want to dwell on this too long, but it's like, who do you think is the lowest on the totem pole in the offensive line right now? I would say it's probably either Sean Ryan or Caleb Jones. And are they really going to like a guy they take in the fifth, sixth round more than these two guys who have had a year in the system? One guy who was drafted all the way in the third round and another guy they used a 53-man spot on and kept him around all season because they were worried another team was going to take him. I, I think that's I mean, the... It, it, it's kind of... My, my opinion on that would be you take a guy you think has a chance and then they get to camp you're like, oh, yeah, this guy's better. <laughs> that's... Is that Anders Carlson you're talking about? <laughs> oh, we're, we're going to have time to talk about all these picks later. 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 We're going to talk about these guys. Uh, philosophically, though, one more thing I wanted to talk about, and then you, if you have any questions for me, hit me. Um, but what are your thoughts on them not taking a safety until the second to last pick that they had? I know a lot of people on Twitter were not happy. <laughs> I was expecting two, and a couple of guys that I thought were chances. I did not like the day not want to take a safety in day one. And I wasn't too sure about taking one in day two either, though I think 
one guy we liked, Jay, um, well, a couple we thought a little bit about, Sidney Brown and Jay Brown. Uh, Jay Brown went in the third. I can't remember where Sidney Brown. I think he might have also gone in the start of the they, third. I think they may have both been day two, yeah. Yeah, Jay Brown went to some, the Niners, and Sidney Brown went to the Eagles is all I remember. And But then there were some flyers that thought – I thought they would take more than one just lottery ticket because, uh, you know – the probability in this class of somebody being really good is not high. So you maybe take a couple of them, see if you increase your probability. But also, I think the probability of a star in the class being worth a higher pick, like day one or day two, it just wasn't worth the draft capital. Yeah. Um, and what you would uh, miss out on by picking one. So I, I, I wasn't surprised I didn't pick one earlier, but I was a little surprised. They didn't try two um, day three picks on safeties. And part of that, well, that was even before they added two picks. I mean, I was going to say they did take a couple of positions I wasn't expecting, but they added those, they added two extra picks. So, yeah. And, and the thing is like, the one thing I will say though, is like the guy they took Anthony Johnson jr. um, A lot of people, a lot of people I would I would say that I've listened to have that as one of their like best picks of the draft and had him more of like a fourth fifth round grade. A lot of people were um, and podcasts were very high on him, so maybe they've got a somebody who can compete for a decent number of snaps. Yeah, I believe but Ben Fennel. Draft- I believe Ben Fennel said he wouldn't be surprised if Johnson Junior's in play for that starting safety spot. Other people I've seen have been like, "Hey, he can't play deep safety." And you're you do, still don't really have a deep safety on the roster, but we're going to talk all about the specifics of the safety position in a later episode. Right, we'll go into more of a deeper dive of uh, yeah, Anthony but, Johnson later. But I kind of felt similarly. It's like, hey, you could force the pick. Maybe there's a guy I liked Jair Brown a lot. Uh, Sidney Brown was interesting despite the tackling issues, uh, but it's it was a bad safety class. Don't take yeah. bad don't take bad players because you feel like you have to. But there were some guys I thought were worth a try. I mean, we didn't know, really know what J.L. Skinner's athletic testing was yeah, because of the torn pec. Um, I thought they might take Jordan Howden. Um, yeah, he went... So go like, he went, like, was it fourth round? He went a he little went earlier a, than Earlier than projected. I was expecting. Yeah. Um, who they had in for a visit. Which he also four. went earlier than I expected. Quite a bit earlier. The linebacker, safety, hybrid. Yeah. Quite a bit earlier. Out of Sacramento State. And like, just went like I, I want to say in the fifth round. Oh, it's early for that. Yeah, and I think I think he ended up going. He went seventy sixth overall. Yeah, I was thinking it was third round. Yeah, it's like so he dude, went, he went too. much much earlier than I think they thought he was. Same with Howden. I mean, these are guys they had in for visits that they clearly had. They clearly had some interest in pieces of this safety class, but. Maybe once those guys that they not, that they liked went way earlier than projected, they were like, "Hey, it's like we're not going to pay a premium price for a guy we like but don't love," you know? Right. They, the guys they they had some interest. They had an interest probably in like sixth round or one of their seventh picks, but not third or fourth. Yeah. They weren't willing to give up who they would get those picks for those players, and so and so we ended up with one. Yeah. And so while we're talking about safety, I I can keep vamping on this forever, but I guess just one other question I have is after this draft, we're kind of getting to the point where the roster is getting close to finalize. The players that are on the team now are going to be the ones mostly that are on the 53 when the season starts. Considering that, 
and like they just don't have a lot of money to add free agents also considering that besides safety is there a position group that you are like most worried about in terms of like how it's going to perform in 2023 because for me i'll i'll go ahead just if you i i still have some concerns about tight end although it's not like they could have done anything else it's just young tight ends often have hard time contributing right away but they 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 did what they could at that position and then more importantly d-line i feel like they picked a lot of tweeners um they don't yes, they really did. they don't really have many true d-linemen like they have the three they originally had in kenny Devonte wyatt and uh tj slayton and then they have chris slayton as well who's and jonathan an, ford and jonathan ford uh yes as well How, so uh, they have basically two beefy guys yeah, three thirty plus in Slate and TJ Slayton and Ford, and then a couple just over three hundred, and then a few just under three hundred. Yeah, they have quite a few tweeners. They have like like Colby Wooden's a bit of a tweener. Carl Brooks is a bit of a tweener. He's like real D tackle size, but he didn't really play really D tackle at Bowling Green. And I, I just have concerns about the depth there in terms of like experience and actual playing D tackle is they don't have a lot of actual D tackles. One thing I would comment on is so we're talking about the, the the draft as a whole philosophy. I would say they had, they picked three different players to fill it, to fill in snaps at both D tackle and edge. Yeah. No, that's what I'm saying is they, they took guys who can play D tackle, but they didn't take any true D tackles. They mostly took third down sub guys who are going to, pinch in and pass rush like they didn't take any yeah. real run stuffers no they didn't take any there's not a single run stuffer in here yeah but so they 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 took guys who have taken snaps on the edge and inside it, at the college level and, they, yeah. they, they, and most of those and, and, most of those inside and, snaps though were like third down pa- rush the passer like they don't have probably. true d tackles like stopping the run no they don't but uh, uh, i think they thought they needed snaps at both and uh, they took three guys who could do both yeah, and besides safety, that's, like, the thing I'm worried about. I'm a little worried that, like, the lack of safety and lack of, like, run-stuffing D-line is going to give Joe Barry... they're going to give up 200 rushing yards a game. What are you worried about? I just, I, I don't know. Just something, something just doesn't quite feel right about that. I'm just worried about Joe Barry having an excuse after this season is done. And it's like, hey, I didn't have any safeties. What do you want me to do? It's like, well, you Lucas had safety. Set on air. We have high expectations for this group. I'm not sure why though. You don't have any safeties. We've seen what we've seen what happens when you don't have any safeties. I've seen the defense with Kentrell Bryce and Haha Clinton Dix. I've seen what it looks like. It doesn't look pretty. And honestly, your safeties might be worse this year than they were then. You're trotting out Rudy Ford and Darnell Savage. It's not great. You're gonna you're gonna have some. I think you're gonna have some problems keeping a roof over the top of the defense. But that's just my opinion. Um, is there anything else for and the? There's also we're talking about like the run game. The safeties last year were abysmal at tackling. Were 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 one of the contributors to the bad run defense. And while a fairly Amos... large contribution actually to the bad run defense. <laughs> I was going to say. And the thing is, like while Amos was definitely taking a step back last year, he's still one of your better tackle tacklers in the secondary. He's still your best tackling safety. It's like the guy they making haven't... all those tackles now is going to be Darnell Savage, and he can't tackle. Did you say making making all those tackles? The guy attempting all of those tackles now is going to be Darnell Savage, and he can't tackle. They haven't shut the door on Amos yet. 
No, they haven't. And that's something I was discussing with uh, a few people about, like, after this draft passed and they only took one safety and the fact that Amos still hasn't signed anywhere, I would be more than more than up for like a um, like bringing him back on like a smaller deal. It seems like there's not a whole lot of interest in him around the league. I know there was like a massive cliff last year, but I'm willing to just run it back because he's better than their other options. I know some people are like, well, he's going to stop like the players behind him from developing. I'm like, have you seen the players behind him? I'm really, I'm really not that concerned. I don't think the starting safety in 2025 is on the roster, folks. I'm gonna tell you right now. I don't think they're there. I that, don't see them. That's the chance of that is very low. Yes. I so think. I'm, I'm really so not concerned if you sign about a vet yeah. to a one-year deal. So the other thing is, like the 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 Browns uh, safety. What's uh, Johnson? Uh, Johnson Jr. Yeah, or Johnson the third. Um, we have, there, we would have Johnson Jr. and Johnson the third. That'd be, that'd be kind of fun. That'd be kind of interesting. But my point is, like, if you bring Amos back, someone said the concern was he's blocking other people from developing. Who is he blocking? Like, I'm not really that worried about it. Is there anything draft-wide you want to talk about, or should we go into our first prospect breakdown that we've ever done officially on this on this podcast and talk a little bit about edge rusher Lucas Van Ness out of Iowa? Iowa. Iowa. He's got to practice as Lucas Van Ness. Iowa. Uh, do we think he'll do it? Because I would. I think if he did that, he would absolutely hilarious. He would immediately he would do that. He would he'd immediately a, win over the entire state of Wisconsin and he, Iowa. He would be a fan favorite instantly if he did that. Oh yeah, Lucas Van Ness. Ow. Ow. Um But do you have anything else about the draft as a whole, or do you want to talk about Van Ness? Let's. Let's. I think uh, we've gone over sort of the big picture, and then the individual other individual players we'll talk about later. So let's go on to. Uh, um yeah. hercules let's talk about hercules who puts the glad in gladiator hercule anyway i will refrain from doing any renditions of songs that might get us <laughs> copyright way up. way up that might get us copyright stricken careful we're gonna the mouse is gonna come get us um don't mess with the mouse don't mess with the mouse but our first prospect breakdown we're gonna talk a little bit about who is he um physical profile um projection uh production profile talk about uh, what scouts thought about him and what the packers seem to think about him and just talk about our initial impressions of him uh but dad so with the 13th overall pick in the nfl draft the packers selected lucas van ness edge rusher out of iowa what was your initial reaction when this pick was made I, okay, so I, guess... I just want to know. Both of us were not super high on Van Ness coming out of the, into the draft, but I would say, due to an immense amount of homerism and copium, we are also very high on him now. But honestly, I think that, like, you know, I, I don't mind going first, actually. Can I go first? I'm already here. Sure. I'm already on my podium. I jumped you're, up here. You're, you're, already, you're already first in line. <laughs> I took your spot. Okay, I believe there is a video out there. Why are you blocking where I said, ugh, gross, <laughs> when they took him. And I think, for me, my initial reaction was a lot at the time based on the fact that I thought that the value at receiver at that spot was better than the value at edge and that picking a receiver there and an edge in the second round would be a better use of resources in terms of where the board was slated to fall. And what How I would I- say about resources in that regard is the value of of the player over the sort of replacement player you would get later in the draft yes but here's 
but here's where I was. So this is that was what I was thinking when I initially they initially made the pick. I wasn't a big fan of it. However, I think the with the knowledge of what they did on day two and getting three weapons in the passing game on day two, I think that kind of like swayed some of my like worries about the pick and value. Um, the other thing, the other reason I wasn't super high on it on first pick was he is a very, very, very good athlete. There are pieces of his athletic profile that we'll touch on in a second where they're not quite, he's like elite at a lot of things. And then there's one or two things he's kind of poor at. And so I didn't put him in that same elite athlete tier as some of these other prospects in this class. I put him in that like just a tiny step below that. And so to me, that was something where I was like, eh, is that going to translate when he's not in for, in his instance, it's like his, his vertical jump was bad and his broad jump was just okay. Um, and so is that kind of explosive, uh, lacking that kind of explosive nature in his jumps going to be an issue for him going forward? And so that was my initial thought. I was a little underwhelmed with it, but I think with the knowledge of what day two brought, I'm a lot more excited about it. And with watching him a little bit more, we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, some of my like concerns were, um, I would say like, I was a little less concerned with some of what he can't do and more excited with what he can do after watching him a little bit more intently. Dad, what were your like initial thoughts on it? And then how would you like to walk back your initial thoughts? Because I thought I did a great job doing that. I just want to see what you can do with that. <laughs> Are you moonwalking? I moonwalked beautifully. Did you not just see that? That was amazing. I was a pro. So my first text, and so there's a record of it. I, what I think I texted you was like, predictably uninspired i think was my first text and you sound like something... a the the villain from ratatouille <laughs> is tasting gusto's food oh uh anton ego yes that's yes, the one yes. predictably uninspired if i don't if I, if I don't love it i spit it out <laughs> but but what was so, also wrote yeah. they could have traded back if they wanted to make a pick like that and and then I ended with, I sure hope he's a stud and can play inside and out. So one thing I said about uh, being able to like trade back, what a comment on it, you know, the, the thought that they could have traded back and still gotten them, which is what was my first knee-jerk reaction. Um, after the Packers picked, New England immediately traded back with Pittsburgh, who then took Jones. And there are several people who are using that bit of evidence that, oh, New England wanted him too. And so they knew that, so they had they couldn't trade him back, and so got him. But that's not the only explanation. Did I, you I heard see... people say that? And what I one thing I says an alternative explanation is that New England had the trade with Pittsburgh set up ahead of time, as long as Broderick Jones was still there. And the speed with which that happened makes me think that that's more likely than, oh crap, we just lost our player. What are we going to do? If you if you want to see what happens. What it's like when that happens, just watch what happened to the New York Jets, the Jets at 15. after they got sniped for Broderick Jones, and they almost didn't get their pick in on time. Well, have you seen, I've seen many teams, and by many, I mean one additional one, being like, oh yeah, the Patriots were going to take the guy we took, that's why they traded out. I saw an article today saying the the Lions were saying that the Patriots are going to take Jameer Gibbs, and that the reason they took him there is because the Patriots are going to take him, and clearly the Patriots wanted him because they traded out of 14. I've seen every team who took a slightly questionable pick be like, no, the Patriots are going to take that guy, they traded out. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Um, but I, yeah, so- uh, not, to, not to compare, like, 
not to compare the picks at all. The taking Lucas Van Ness way better than taking a running back in the first round. Please don't compare yeah. the two. So I think part of my kind of I don't know uh, Waze reaction to it was he was one of the earliest um, players that were sort of mocked to the Packers um, before we knew a whole lot about any of them. It was like. I would say Van, Lucas Van Ness and Michael Mayer were maybe the two earliest um, players mocked to the Packers in the process, like, you know, two months ago. And so I think that um, affected the opinion of him at the, at the beginning. But after watching more tape, I'm a little more excited about what he's able to do on well, the field. Let's talk a little bit about what he's able to do because I think there are a lot of things to be excited about with him. There are definitely some things where, hey, he's not a hundred. He's not like a perfect prospect. No one is. But let's talk a little bit about what makes him a good prospect. What makes him a bad prospect? Um, what there is to be excited about. What there is to be not excited about. And let's start that off with his physical profile. And I think one of the things that's the most exciting about him is just how like exciting an athlete he is for his size. Um, so for Lucas Van Ness, he came out of Iowa this year. He is also his age is very exciting. He's only 21.8 years old. So he's going to be 22 at the start of the year. He is six foot five, 272 pounds. So he's massive with 34 inch arms and 11 inch hands. So really yeah, big arms hands. and massive hands. Um, the, Part of his profile that I spoke about being a little concerned about is that his jumps were not amazing. Just a 31-inch vertical and a touch over a 9-foot broad jump, which are around like the 40th... Well, 9-10. Nine, pers- nine, it's almost... 9-10. That's true. That's true. It's, it's almost it's 10. Cl- it's, it's almost, almost 10. 10. Sorry. I, I, I misread it. I thought it said 9-0-1, not 9-1-0. A 9-10 broad, which is almost a 10, which is still... It's, it's very good. It's not elite. Um, that's around like the 77th percentile-ish for like that position. And the vertical is a little below average for the position. Um, however, where he makes up for that, like those drills not being as good, he is crushing everything else. 40-yard dash, 4.58 uh, with a really elite 20-yard split and a really elite 10-yard split. And then his short shuttle, um, 4.32, which is elite, elite. And then three cones, 7, um, 7.02. They they do the zeros with the diagonal slash and my eyes didn't like it. Uh 7.02, which is also elite elite. Um and one player that compares to him very favorably in terms of athletic profile is Preston Smith. And when you watch him, you see a lot of Preston Smith, wouldn't you say, Dad? Yeah, it's very it's, it's like how much of it is close, like the 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 height's within three eighths of an inch, the weight's in within one pound. Um Vaness is faster. Um, quite a bit faster in the 40 and faster on the splits, but not as good of a jumper is three, three inches, um, less in the vert and the broad. but, uh, and they're kind of equivalent in the, in the agility drills. This is slightly better in the shuttle than that's slightly better in the three cone. And Preston, uh, was able to put up the, the bench seven more times. So a significantly more reps. With the same length arms, both 34-inch yes. arms. Yes, both 34-inch arms. you see you know, Preston out there, you just see how good his reach is for, and how much it yeah. helps setting the edge. You, you can, I think that's his... Mm-hmm. Has even bigger hands. Oh, much bigger hands. It's like a whole half an inch bigger. Um, but the thing for Van Ness and Preston, though, is Van Ness is like 
lean as like lean as you can get for 270 pounds he's got, I mean, he has he's a, got a six pack at 272 pounds there is a reason they call him hercules like he's yeah, they, he they is, mostly call him hercules just because the way he looks that too he looks like like, like the marble statue he looks like an adonis like he looks like an actor like he does not look like a football player i would definitely not be surprised if he gets accused of being a pretty boy every now and then but he's far from a pretty boy because this was it the third thing they showed on nfl network when they showed when we picked van ness was number one football highlight number two football highlight number three straight to the hockey highlights because and it's something that uh um andy herman has talked about a bunch like he he likes like oh yeah this guy got a lot of hockey penalties that's a good thing. He, he did get he did get a lot of hockey penalties. I don't know if it's a good thing. That's, but that's not ex- that's not exactly the profile of a pretty boy. Necessarily. He's not afraid. That's what I was. That's where I was going with. It's not the profile of a pretty boy. But the 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 hockey thing was funny to me because I was like, can you get any more Wisconsin like than just throwing on his high school hockey highlights and being like, yeah. But the thing that I will say for that, as we transition into more of a production profile, is that he did get a late start to football. He did not start playing football until 2018. Uh, I believe he would have been that would have make made him 16 years old. So like his junior year in high school, uh, he was mostly a hockey player before that. So late start to the sport. So he is not really a finished product at all um, in terms of what he could be at the next level. In fact, as we go through scout quotes later, you'll notice a common theme that a lot of them are like best football is ahead of him. Not half the player he can be best football like could be ahead of him. Like that's a very common quote not just from like scouts who do like NFL media, but also like the Packers front office, as we'll talk about in a bit. Um, but that's kind of just to put some of this production stuff in light and that, hey, like he's doing all of this while only playing the sport for three, four years. Um, is there anything else you want to touch on with his athletic profile before we talk about production, Dad, or do you want to take it away on production? Um, we could start talking about production. There's also usage, and but the athletic yeah, profile... I- I think we've covered most of it. I mean, he's in so, I guess, the 90, 95 percentile in a lot of the metrics. And I, I guess the only question I have is, so for me, the lack of vert and the like above, above average but not elite broad jump were a bit worrying to me. Did they worry you at all? I mean, a little bit. I mean, you try to think about like how, how, how uh, fast can somebody like get out of the blocks and, and uh, launch sort of forced into the opponent and one thing i would say that um i was gonna say a little bit is his 10 yard split being yeah super elite it's actually his most elite trait um is his 10 yard split so that means his get off is very fast even if he's not able to get like airborne so well yeah and the thing is able to get a quick reaction off the snap yeah and the thing is is like when you watch him play there's no problem with the get off like he is he, quick at the snap. There's a there's a few times like where in a two point stance he'll kind of like rock back and then go forward is like the false step thing, but they'll work on him with that. Like I said, he's very new to football. Um, right, a little wasted motion there. Also, let uh, well let, we'll talk about production in a second. But yeah, so that was my main concern. But the fact that the ten yard split is so elite, and the fact that you don't really see problems with. I mean, he is he is pretty twitched up, and I don't know if you see like his like back foot. When you watch him play, his whole back leg is twitching is when shaking? he's is shaking when he's lined up to go. Like you can see, the whole thing is just like tick 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 tick, like tick 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 tense like a sprinter. 
Yeah, he. I mean, he's he's wound up like he is. He's like a springy athlete. You just um, gotta be careful; he doesn't get drawn off sides a bunch. Yeah, that that's the thing with, and you know, like I said, very young player, only made twenty two at the start, start of the year. Aggressive. Exactly. Better to have him pull it back. Um, but let's talk a little bit about uh, his actual play. We'll start by talking about like where he lined up. Um, but the one thing I want to touch on here uh, is I am going to start a narrative, Dad. And I know I didn't tell you about this, but I'm starting a narrative. Did you know that Lucas Van Ness played the most snaps at edge for his team last year? I have a little bit of a thing on this towards the end so we're going to start talking about this, this now so this is what i'm going this is what i'm going to start the narrative that i'm not going to start the i'm not even going to mention the the he didn't start games at iowa because i feel like people are just going to remember that the first thing i'm going to say anytime we talk about van ness is did you know he had the most snaps at edge at iowa because i don't yeah. care that he didn't play the first snap yeah. of the game it doesn't matter to I me i have like the exact same thing it's a little bit later but yeah he played starter snaps yes he he had the i.e he played more snaps in the position than any other player on the team regardless of being labeled starters. He just didn't line up on the first snap of the game. Yeah. People who talk about him not starting are is a stupid take. People who are not actually looking at it, I'm going to just plain call it stupid. <laughs> Tell us how you feel. Tell us how you really feel. Well, here's the thing. is like, It's just like, it's a number I think people see, and it's like something they first point to. And I think also it is a bit of a meme at this point. Like People know it doesn't mean anything, but everyone just says it because it's kind well, of funny. You, the, but the problem is the people who know it doesn't mean anything, who are saying it ironically, are mixed together with the people who are saying it genuinely. Yeah, that's the problem there. But that's why I'm starting the narrative. It's like, did you know that, that Lucas Van Ness had the most snaps at edge of anyone? But the, what was it? The other thing I believe I heard today was – actually, I don't want to quote it without being 100% sure. So ignore what I was just saying. But I, he had like as many pass rush as – many, as many snaps as um, – a few other first round edges um, over the last two years where it's like, yeah, he didn't start, but he's playing as much as these other guys. So who yeah, really cares? I, I heard somebody talking about this today and I don't remember. I, I think it was, was Nolan. Like locked on. I, I believe it was Nolan okay. Smith. He played like almost the same amount of snaps as him or the yeah. same amount. I don't want to, I don't want to miss. There were a though. few players who had more snaps than he did. I think uh, like Will Anderson. Will Anderson. Was one of them. <sighs> I mean, like fifteen hundred. I was gonna say he's played like six hundred more snaps than anyone else. So yeah, and and so he's way ahead of everybody else. But uh, and then I think um, Tyree Wilson has more, but not that far behind. Well, let's let's talk a little bit. The crowd of everybody else. He's kind of in the crowd of everybody else. Yes. So listeners, if you hear that he didn't start a game at Iowa, right? Either ignore it. Or educate them and tell them actually he played more snaps than anyone. The starts don't matter. But let's talk a little bit about those snaps, Dad. And let's talk a little bit about, first, where he was being used at Iowa. Because I think a lot of times people have uh, listened to people talk about Lucas Van Ness. They talk a lot about his versatility. So Lucas Van Ness really only played um, just reasonable amounts of snaps in the past two years, 2021 and 2022. Uh, And he played inside much more as in his just two years ago than he did last year. Do you want to take us through that this yeah, usage I mean, a little bit? So like in 2021, the vast majority of his snaps were actually played as an interior D lineman. Um, yeah. 
pretty much between the guard and the tackle. Pretty much between the guard and the tackle exclusively. Yeah, the vast majority had a few in the A gap, a few outside the tackle. And then this year, his highest number were actually as an edge rusher outside the tackle. But still, what is it? Like a third of the snaps are actually interior over the uh, um, the A gap or the B gap. It, it's or between a third and the tackle. Between a third and half. Like it's 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 yeah. closer to a half than a quarter. So um, this is what I talked about earlier. That in some ways, and I think the Packers are probably thinking this: we can kill depth at two positions with one stone. Um, and something and that, that's go ahead sorry and that's something that may develop a little bit more later it'll kind of depend and i think i have a note of this later but since we're talking about it i'll go on um i think early on with gary out he's probably going to do a lot more edge than inside though he'll also do and then when gary's back he might start doing more of his snaps kind of maybe the same total number of snaps, but then shift more of them to um, lining up on the D-line, like a three-tech or something, instead of on the edge. Since they'll have more depth at edge at that point when Gary comes back, then they'll have the top level inside. Yeah, and I mean, they're going to be a bit like strapped for depth along the inside either way. But I think the ability to have that versatility... Like you said, he has experience playing majority of snaps as an interior D lineman, so he might play a majority of his snaps kind of on the inside um, this year. Although Brian Gudikins did say in his pressure, they see him as an edge who can kick inside. Like, but as an edge was like a important part of the question. It was like he is an edge for us. We think he can be like Zadarius Smith. We'll talk a little bit more about Brian Gudikins' pressure, but we think he can be like Zadarius where he kicks inside on third downs or in pass rush rush specific downs, but they see him as an edge. Um, In terms of that usage, though, it's very exciting because we know it's super valuable at the NFL level to have four pass rushers on the field at once on third downs. And with the ability to slide Van Ness inside, having a pass rush potentially of Preston Smith, Lucas Van Ness, Kenny Clark, and Rashawn Gary. I mean, that's four potentially premier level guys attacking the passer. And for Lucas Van Ness, um, he was quite good rushing the passer um, this past year uh, for Iowa. Uh, 46 pressures and nine sacks on 271 pass rushing snaps per PFF, which is a 17% pressure rate, which was 30th in college for players hitting 50% of pass rush snaps. So still very, very good. That's, that's a lot of players in the NCAA. So that's right. pretty and elite. Some of those players are going to get some uh, much lower competition. Much lower competition. The Big Ten is pretty much the second best, big, uh, second best league in all of college football. And, Dad, we have a bit of a, a chart here talking about the him at, yeah. as, as a D-tackle, comparing him to other D-tackles in this right. class. And do you want to break that down? Because... He was he is a force anywhere you line him up. Um, right. Take so this it away. is a little analysis from I think it's Sports Information uh, Sports Solutions. Info Solutions. Yes, Sports Sports Info Solutions. And so they have been putting out um, like top ten prospects at some of the different positions over a few metrics. So they've done like Mike linebackers, nose tackles, D tackles. I don't know if they've done an edge yet, so I didn't get a chance to like compare him to the other edges, or if they have it, and find it. Um, but they have Lucas Van Ness here as a D tackle prospect, and so they've got a couple. They've got pass um, pressure. They've got a pressure rate, which is 
um, pressure either above or below expected determined by the the type of down it is down d- distance down score and the type of play quarterbacks drop and so they've got a, a, pa- a pass rush metric um, based on like pressure rate above expected and then two um, run stop metrics one is basically clogging your gap do you force the runner to go um, in a different direction from the design gap because you're in it and then also um, average tackle depth um, so for the pressure rate he was second among all the d tackles in the draft only to collage cansey um, but he also did well in the in the uh the run metric he had yeah they call it forced bounce percentage i forced believe bounce yeah i guess yeah that's what it must be so forced bounce and he had the best among the top 10 tackles um d tackles in forced bounce percentage yeah so he has the se- second best in the pressure rate and best in the forced bounce and rate. if so you notice do you notice the two other players that are in that top five I noticed, yes. Number three for the pressure percentage is Carl Brooks, who the Packers also have, but he's not doing so well in the force bounce. Don't, don't worry about it. It's a passing league, Dad. And then number five is Colby Wooden, who the Colby Packers Wooden also took. For the pressure. So maybe they were just copy-paste that, that graphic and said, we're drafting these guys. Find them. Um, but yeah, so the thing with Van Ness in terms of a, a production standpoint is it seems like very solid against the pass, very solid against the run, a very well-rounded player that plays all over and can do a little bit of everything. And for people, I think, do we want to talk about like our impressions of watching him first or do we want to, let, let's, how do you want to do this? Do you want to talk about the scouts quotes or do you want to talk about our impressions of watching him play? Which do, which do you want to do first? We can kind of, we can do it either way. Let's jump to ours. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about what we thought watching him since we're talking about production and it kind of dovetails into that nicely. And then we'll talk a little bit about what um, media scouts, et cetera, thought about. But for you, when you were watching him, what did you feel? Because I don't mind going first. For me, like I said, going into watching him, I was kind of concerned, was not a prospect I was super high of in terms of profile. I personally think that like the jumps are really important for pass rushers. Um, because that explosiveness is really important to get the first step and to get essentially force moving in a direction and your lack of ability to have elite jumps shows your lack of ability to really like get a quick instance of force and a quick instance of momentum like from a standstill which is important when you're pushing the passer but then when you watch him and it's like yes he doesn't have a lot of moves which is one thing something a lot of people said about him and he relies a lot on power um However, to me, I initially thought that might be a negative. When you watch him play, though, I think watching him have success against Paris Johnson Jr., who went sixth overall to the Cardinals, and the Cardinals traded up to get to be their left tackle forever. When you watch him go against Peter Skaronsky, who went 11th overall to the Titans, and he's gonna be, they're going to try and make him be their left tackle or left guard forever, and you watch him just physically... Like, not every snap, obviously. Those players are elite players. But when he hits the right notes, and he's just so much physically stronger than him that he is barreling them back into their own quarterback butt first, or he is flattening them, or his hands are so heavy on them that he is shocking them back four steps and he's getting to the quarterback, I think it made me realize that, yes, 
oftentimes a edge rusher who relies only on power and like mainly on a bull rush because that is his main thing. He is mainly a bull rusher at this stage. He does have a nice long arm. He does have nice speed to power. But a lot of this is just like go through the face of the guy. And for a lot of players, that's not going to work. You're going to need something more refined at the NFL level. For him, though, I think the strength and the play strength specifically, I know he didn't have a great bench. I don't think that's a great measurement of strength, in my opinion. I think his play strength is something where that's a special elite trait, where he might just be stronger than everyone else on a football field. And it might not matter if for the first year, all he can really do is long arm and bull rush because he might just be that much stronger than these tackles he's going against because he was going against top level tackle prospects and he was way stronger than them. So what's he going to do when he's going against mediocre tackles? I'm imagining he'll at least have a good strength advantage there as well. So that was the positive for me um, in terms of like negatives uh, a lot. Well, it's the same as what a lot of people say. He is mostly just bull rushing. Um, it works for him at that level. Will it work for him for the next? I'm of the mind after watching him go against those players that yes, it will. Um, the other thing is he does fall over from time to time. Uh, he gets off balance at times. I would say he like gets so caught up in the bull rush that if they kind of, I in basketball, you'd call it pull in the chair. Uh, you'd probably call it the same thing in the NFL, but he gets like, he leans way forward, way too fast and falls on his face. Um, and that's like the negative for me watching him. Um, and I mean, he's only 270 pounds, so he's not going to be like a great, like two gap guy, but he can take on double teams. It's not, he's not bad at it per se. He's got really good, like functional, like strength, like I said. Um, but dad, what did you think about him? Cause those are my main takeaways. Like I was a little worried about it just being bull rush, but he might just be so damn strong that it doesn't matter. Yeah. I think one of the things that this guy kind of touches on is the idea, does a player have an elite trader ability that they can then win with. So rather than exactly. what he, rather than what he can't do, what can he do? And can he do something at an elite level that allows him to make plays? And I think that's the power. So after rewatching his tape a little more, so especially against the, the, some of the Ohio State reps against uh, um, Paris Johnson, his power is really effective when running uh, the passer. And I also saw maybe it was against Penn State. I can't remember who the other team was. But one thing I, I noticed that he does, especially in the inside is he'll do a bull rush basically by driving one shoulder into the chest of the um, offensive lineman and basically just trying to push, collapse the pocket from the inside, especially when he's inside. He's just trying to collapse the pocket, which is yes. kind of what you want to do is like you, you, you take away the ability of the quarterback to step up when you're rushing from the inside. Yes, and it counts as a pressure if you're collapsing the pocket. You don't necessarily need to get past your man to collapse the pocket. And yeah, you just push you just push the blocker into the quarterback's lap, so he can't step into the throw, and he, he gets flushed out. Then uh, it's easier for the uh, edge rushers to get him. So I can think it, wait, the, can I can I ask one question about collapsing the pocket? Sure. So Brian Kudigan like specifically noted, and this was in his one on one with Larry McCarron after his official presser, that he thinks he's able to collapse the pocket and quote unquote apply the kind of pressure that wins in the league. Do you think that collapsing the pocket? is like what they're because with an edge rusher like gary who's also a big bull rush guy who's gonna just push his tackle back and with van ness who's kind of who's a pocket pusher and with clark who's a pocket pusher do you think their goal is just like hey we're just gonna make the pocket as tiny as possible we don't really care if they're getting by them we're just gonna have guys that go through people's faces how do you uncrunch did you ever so that's what i'm trying to do is the, the crunch guy yeah, in, in Incredibles too, he's just, they're just trying to take the pocket and crush it. 
as crush it as much as they can. And, and I think they do like this philosophy. I think it's why. And I think even good consensus about liking bigger edge rushers who can then also um, hold up against the run and have some flexibility to go inside. That by just collapsing the pocket. So first, they like to. I think a lot of teams like to pressure up the middle so the quarterback can step up and evade the, the edge rush. But also eliminate escape lane, escape lanes if you're yes. simply crushing the pocket until you can like grab the quarterback and rip him down. Yeah, um, just or just knock him over with the with the tackle of the guard. And, and so that there's no way for them to scramble and run out. I and this is just this is just a guess for me, but with the like heightened importance of mobile quarterbacks in the NFL, you could see a scenario where speed rushers are less in vogue because they need to go so wide that they're creating these massive Ooh. rushing lanes. They're ma- creating these massive rushing lanes for these quarterbacks if they go that wide. And it's just something that I've thought about. Um, I don't know if you listened to Chuck Pagano did a really nice um, film analysis of Lucas Van Ness for the 30 for 33rd Office, um, which is a YouTube channel, on, uh, and they did great work. I, I've tweeted it out from our Twitter, at Father Son Packer, and he, he's saying essentially the number one need in his mind for an edge rusher is can you set an edge? And I think that's kind of plays into their, their how much they like Van Ness and how much they like these bigger edges. Yeah, and I'd say that that Van Ness has a couple of tools. So he's got this the, the power ability up the middle, and also just to drive the tackle back, either the center guard or tackle, to push them back into the lap of the quarterback on a decent number of reps. Because you know you're being elite, and if you get like you know thirty percent, so you're not winning. It's like a baseball batting average. You know you're elite by succeeding like thirty percent of the time. Yeah. Um, so you're not getting to the quarterback every every play, but. Um, so he's got the bull rush. I think in some cases, like you see him driving the um, the, the offensive lineman like a blocking sled. He's just full power, set, get, get leaning into it and just pushing the guy back. But he's also got some speed. You see if he gets stymied or a stunt to then loop around the outside and still get to the quarterback on a number of occasions with speed. And can I just say, in terms of chasing the quarterback down, I mean, he has, I, this is going to sound so like NFL scout speak, but he has a great motor. And the the three cone, I think, really shows up like when you watch him try and chase down a quarterback that like has like evaded him a little bit because he is stopping on a dime and he is hustling after him. Like if the quarterback starts to break contain, he's like changing direction and just sprinting after him as hard as he can. I think Packers fans are going to be a really big fan of him. I think he's going to be a fan favorite for years to come. Wearing 90 is going to look great. Do we want to talk a little bit? We're getting a little long here now. Do we want to talk a little bit about what scouts had to say about him? Um. Sure, because I already talked a little bit about some of this other stuff about being multidimensional. So let's go to what the scouts had to say. You had you had um, yes. put in a few things. So I put in a couple of these because I know some people felt like this was a reach of a pick. Um, I saw that floating around the Twitterverse. And based on the consensus board, that's just nece- it's just not really true based on what consensus was. So I'm just going to go through a few of the bigger scouts around the league, say where they had him ranked, and then say what they thought about him, just like a little blurb. So, Dane Brugler of The Athletic had him 10th overall in his board, edge 3. He went 13th and he was edge 3. Quote, overall, Van Ness needs coaching up, but with his pass rush construction and overall pacing, uh, or needs coaching up with his pass rush construction and overall pacing, but he is an ascending player and competes like a grizzly bear with his fierce power and explosive twitch. He has the upside of an impactful NFL starter with inside-outside versatility, regardless of scheme. So don't take so our remember, words for it. Regardless of what you said, you cannot win a match against a grizzly bear. 
Yes, I. Someone said that. It, it might have been me. Uh, I didn't say I could. I said a human being could beat a bear, and I found a news article that someone did once. But we're staying on contract, so don't take our words for it. Take these scouts' words for it, because the power is very special. Going on, Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network had him 14th overall, edge four. He went 13th, and he was edge three. Van Ness is, quote, Van Ness is a powerful defensive lineman with the versatility to stand up on the edge or slide inside and play over the guard. He is excellent at collapsing the pocket with his bull rush, getting his hands inside and driving opponents back with ease. He flashes a chop move and a rip move, but needs to develop a more diverse repertoire. His best football is ahead of him. And then McShay of ESPN had him 15th, edge three. Um, also talked a lot about the, ta- the power on his tapes um, standing out. And then Mel Kuyper of ESPN did have him 27th, and PFF also had him 27th. So... A couple had him late first round. Most of them had him in the teens, right outside the top 10, right where the Packers took him. So it's not really a reach. And one thing that you'll see in all of these scouts' profiles is so many of them say his best football is is ahead of them. And that kind of takes us to a little bit about what the Packers think about him. Because Brian Gutekunst um, has essentially a press conference after the first round. And he talks also later after the entire draft about the entire class. But about... Van Ness specifically. Here's some quotes that he had to say about him that we found interesting. Um, he was asked to compare essentially Van Ness and Gary and said he's a little different from Gary um, and has more experience inside, but he saw some of the, the comparisons that they were making um, and responded that actually he views him being seen a lot like Zadarius Smith, where he's going to play a lot of edge and then kick inside on key downs. He also said, quote, the best football's ahead of him. So a lot of people seem to think he is an ascending talent. Um, and beyond that, some very interesting things, um, thinks he's able, like we said, apply the kind of pressure that wins in this league was a really interesting quote. In my opinion, um, they expect him to play at his current weight of like 272, um, but does say that guys, his age, he's still a younger guy do sometimes set, tend to settle into a weight a little bit higher, like 10 pounds heavier, I think is what he said. Um, but they're not going to have him gain any weight on purpose and like try and size up to detackle. And he he also said that he did not see him really being able to slim down to play like exclusively because he's got very little body, body fat, fat. Yeah. Already. Exactly. Um, was there anything else from what Gudikin said that really stood out to you? Those were the main hits to me is like, he's really excited about the size being versatile. Uh, they're going to play him as pretty much a true edge. This isn't a D tackle convert pick. Um, and that yeah. they're, they're going to use him like Z essentially. Right. An edge rusher with some probably passing down, interior um defensive lineman versatility maybe like a stand-up nose or something like that like z would do on occasion um and that he also said just interesting nugget that not necessarily ladies like somebody asked and i, I couldn't recognize all the voices in the in the audio about whether picking so many defensive players was intentional or not and uh, he said oh it's just the way things have Defensive players in the first round. In the first uh, round, that is, specifically. And uh, Gudikin said that wasn't necessarily intentional, but uh, there are high expectations on the D. Um, oh, yes. This year. Which is interesting. We talked. Uh, did we talk about this? Or, or, did we talk about this before we start recording or when we start recording about the high expectations on defense? I think we were recording. And I said, I don't know if there should be. <laughs> they don't have any starting safeties. We're already getting a little long. I'm already forgetting what we talked about yeah. at the beginning of this. Um but so, yeah, I think all seemed like he was their guy. And I think Gutekunst also said that he was who they had in mind when they swapped with the Jets. Or one of the players they had in mind. Yeah, that was, yes. I think, the quote, it was at least when yes. somebody asked, he was one of one of the players they had in mind when they when they um, 
instead of the pick swap with the Jets to get to 13. Yeah. Which, interesting. Maybe the maybe the Patriots would have taken him like we said earlier. Maybe not. Who knows? Who knows? Um, we've already and talked then, a little. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, so kind of wrap up some of the stuff that kind of tied to earlier, what you're saying about the quotes and sort of his value. So he was the third edge taken overall. Oh, yeah. So we're, yeah, let's talk a little bit about value of like where they took him. Just sorry, I'm just prefacing what we were going to talk about and yeah. what they might maybe could have taken instead, whether or not that's exciting. Oh, and just my like closing thought on him as a prospect that I realized I forgot to say uh, when we were talking about how what we thought of him when we watched him. I think for me, I just won't ever be upset at taking a guy at a premium position who's an elite athlete uh, in the young. first round and young. Um, one of I just, the first comps I saw after he was picked, you know, you saw we we, we were talking about the uh, the Raz comp with uh, Preston. Somebody tweeted out, and I I did sorry uh, whoever you were, I didn't see comp to uh, Bosa. No, thank like, you. That's a pipe dream. Yes, it's <laughs> a reason he happens, wasn't a top five pick. There's a reason he was not a top five. If pick. He ends up if he ends up anywhere close to Bosa or say like T.J. Watt, then. Then he's then, like yeah. the best value in the draft. Yeah, that's a hundredth percentile value. Like that's the most value you could ever get at the thirteenth pick. And I know JJ Watt was picked around there, but like, let's calm down. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yes, you were talking about value at that pick, and maybe what else they could have done. And like I was saying, I felt a lot better about the pick after they were able to get the weapons they got on day two, because it pretty much meant taking an edge there didn't really preclude them from getting Jordan Love some help. Yeah, so one thing to think about, we, and I've tried to do this for all the picks, is you know how good the choice was. And of course, how good the choice is depends on what you else you would have done with the pick. So he was, he was the third edge taken, and so that was in line with several of the, uh, the draft experts. It was after um, Anderson, Tyree Wilson, and then Van Ness, and then the next edges after him were Will McDonald at pick 15 by the Jets, who I think they weren't quite ready to make a decision. After Jones was gone. And then Miles Murphy was the next one after that at 28 to Cincinnati. So in general, so if you thought, okay, if they players they could have had instead would have been Broderick Jones, who went next if he wanted to try to thought he was an elite tackle that could be, you know, the next 10 year plan or the, the grass, the, the draft crush of, us and many others, Jackson, Smith, and Jigba, that they could have had, who ended up going until 20, so quite a bit later. Um, so so if they picked Jackson, Smith, and Jigba, then they would not have had a first-round edge rusher. Um, and they would have had... So by the time that the Packers were on the clock again at 42, the nine edge rushers had gone. So by if they had switched... so. By picking um, Lucas Van Ness, they ended up with their first wide receiver they took was Jaden Reed, who was the sixth wide receiver off the board. So they, they got the number three edge and the number six wide receiver. If you flipped it around and say, okay, what if they take it um, JSN? They would have had the number one wide receiver, but they, but they would have ended up with like the number nine or 10 edge rusher. Yeah, because we went through it. It was Anderson went... Wilson went, Van Ness went, McDonald went, Murphy went, um, no, Nolan Smith went, Nolan Smith went, uh, Anajika Uzama went, and then 
two more, which were we talked earlier. But yeah, they would have had around the ninth or tenth edge rusher, and that would have worked out to like Fosky, Fosky, yeah. Fosky and BJ Ajulari. Yeah, and they would have ended up essentially with either you have JSN and like one of Fosky Ojolari or or Adabare, depending on who you liked, um, who ended up going way later than we thought, all the way in the fourth round, which was probably one of the more interesting of the dra- inter- interesting things of the draft to me. Or you end up with Van Ness and Jaden Reed, and time will tell which of the two are better. But essentially, those were the two things, the two differing um, styles of thought on how this draft could go if they if you were someone who believed they should have taken JSN at. 13, which we were definitely initially. Yeah, but I think in terms of draft history, the probably the, the gap between the number three edge rusher and the number nine edge rusher is bigger than the number one wide receiver and the number six wide receiver. I would say that's true. More premium position, you know. And so then you would say that looking at history and what was there, that maybe we have to admit that the Packers made a good choice here. I Even mean, if it wasn't our plan at the time. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. To, I think, like I said, I'll never knock him for going for a premium position who's young and an elite athlete in the first round. That's why I was, I wanted them to take Jackson Smith and Jigba. I was a little upset they didn't, but I understood the pick. There, there have been times where I've not understood the pick. Um, oh, yeah. I'm not going to call anyone out, but I there were times I have not understood the pick. This was one where I was like, there were I times get it. this year where I didn't understand the pick. Yes, but, but this but wasn't really one of them. This was not one of them. I, I understood it. And I think that's the most we can say. I think I'm really excited to watch him play because I think he's going to be fun to watch. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be a fun. It's going to be a fun Packers year this year. And I'm going to have so much fun watching all of these rookies. And we're going to break them all down for you in the coming weeks. Next week, keep an eye out. We're going to be talking probably about the tight ends, maybe about Jaden Reed too. We'll keep you posted on our Twitter and we'll tweet everything out. Don't you worry. We'll be tweeting out videos we find interesting of these prospects, scouting reports we find on YouTube, such as the one that Chuck Pagano did, which I found very interesting and enlightening, and all kinds of stuff like that. Father, Son, Packer, come follow us there. If you like what you heard today, come subscribe to us on YouTube. It would really help our numbers. Come subscribe to us anywhere you can find podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon. Dad, is there any last thing you want to hit the listeners with before we get going? Well, one thing I just wanted to add, it's kind of a big overview. It's kind of remarkable how quickly the Packers seem to be remaking their roster into a much younger roster of this sort of cohort of players about the same age to move together into the next phase. Um, together, yeah. yeah. And I think that it's especially interesting on offense where we're going to have a young core for the first time in what feels like forever. Yeah, I mean, the, the receiver core has seven players drafted in the last two years on it right now. It's going to be exciting. And those and are their top gonna... seven. Those are their top seven receivers. Yeah. And it's going to be really exciting. And we're going to be talking all about it. So come give us a follow. Come give us some more listens. And until next time, go Pack Go. Go Pack Go.